We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, good evening, church. How are you guys doing? Good, good. I know exactly what Manny's dealing with. My daughter got married last Saturday and um, took the week off, but I spent a couple days moving her out of our place and her husband out of his place and into their place. And, oh, man, how I wished I was back at the church. But anyway, it was a blessing and got to do those things. Uh, I'd like to also myself open up in prayer and just ask God's blessing on uh, the message tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be here Father, to to share your word, God. Lord, I'm the one that's blessed, God, because I get to do this. And Lord, I I pray that your spirit would minister to each one of us, Lord. And God, that you would open our ears and our eyes to your word. And that, Father, we would just see how much you love us and the depth and the width and the length and the breadth of your grace upon us, Lord. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that hasn't experienced that grace personally that father you would just touch his heart god or hers and just that they father would choose tonight to make this the night that lord they invite you in and they can experience your grace so lord we thank you we praise you be with manny and shelly bless them and just give them strength for the things they need to do we thank you in jesus name amen all right open your bibles to second samuel chapter 9 Second Samuel chapter 9, and <clears throat> I'm not good at titles, but this one was easy. It's about an amazing grace, and I know, I think sometimes we think, well, we always have to preach about grace, or, you know, it seems like it's something that's always taught on, but, you know, uh, it, it's such a, a wonderful topic, and it's such a, um, a wonderful thing that God has done for us, and um, I think this is a, a great chapter on, on that subject. Chapter 9 is probably, or is, one of the greatest times in David's life. David was in control of all the land that God had planned to give him, and his, and his people as well, to live in and to own. David had driven out all the enemies at this time. After going out to battle and defeating everybody around him from the north, the east, the west, and the south, there's a time of peace in his life and in the land. There's a quietness in his life. And he's probably thinking about all that has happened to him since he became king. And I'm sure he, he, he couldn't help think about King Saul and King Saul's angry jealousy uh, toward him. Those days that David spent running and hiding from King Saul, suffering because of King Saul's craziness, those days of testing that David went through and breaking, that character building that God was doing in his life to make him king, barely staying one step ahead of death because of Saul's constant, you know, just anger and jealousy towards David. And as he's thinking about those not-so-good days, he remembers his best friend, Jonathan, who was King Saul's son, who he loved and who he missed so much. How could two kings, that is Saul and King David, be so different? Let's begin now in chapter 9 with verse 1. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness 
for Jonathan's sake. Here we probably have the best Old Testament picture of New Testament grace. The way David treated Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. David is a type of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and Mephibosheth is the type of the sinner. And again, the way that David treated Mephibosheth is the way of God's grace towards his people. And as we look at David's kindness to Mephibosheth, we'll get a better understanding and appreciation of God's compassionate treatment of us. And the word kindness here in verse 1, it's, it's a lot stronger than we know. It's a lot stronger than the word that we would use in, in the English language. It means mercy and unfailing love. In other words, grace. Grace, that's, you know, grace is acceptance in spite of us. Who we are and the things that we've done. It's a grace that, that we get in spite of, uh, of the other person. It's undeserved. It's unconditional. You can't earn it. You can't pay it back. It's undeserved kindness. So King David is saying here in verse 1, Is there anyone left in King Saul's family who I can show grace for Jonathan's, uh, for Jonathan's sake? King David had promised King Saul back in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and his son Jonathan that he would protect and preserve King Saul's family. You see, it was customary for the new king to kill all of the sons, all of the sons who might want to you know, start a coup and a, and a revolt and take back the throne. So again, it was customary that, that the, the new king, the reigning king, would wipe out all the sons of the previous family. But notice what King David asked in verse 1. He said, is there anyone? That's an important word. I would encourage you to underline it. Anyone. Anyone that I can show kindness to. It didn't matter who. He didn't ask if there was anybody there that was deserving of his kindness or that was qualified to receive his kindness or was worthy to receive his grace. Because you see, it didn't matter to David. Look at verse 2. After there was a, um, and there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, that is Ziba, Ziba, he said, and Ziba said at his request, here I am at your service. David finds now a servant of Saul's house named Ziba. And when they called him to David, David asked him, Ziba, he said, notice in verse 3, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Ziba says, You know, your majesty, there is still a son left, a son of Jonathan. But you know what? He's crippled. He's damaged goods. Look at verse 3 again. He says at the end, There's still a son, Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. In other words, David, yeah, there is. But you know what? I don't think he's going to do you much good. I don't think that, that he's good enough to live in your palace. Now, in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel, I'll read it to you quickly. Verse 4, it tells us how uh, Mephibosheth ended up crippled. 
It says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan, that is his grandfather and father, came from uh, uh, Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he, that is Mephibosheth, fell and he became lame. So, you know, life sometimes drops us. And you know what? Sometimes we become lame, figuratively, uh, even physically. But he's crippled, Ziba says. And David, you know, a cripple's not going to do you much good. He's not going to fit in your kingdom. He can't be much much help to you. You see, what good would a cripple be to you in your kingdom? And I think many times Satan loves to bombard us with those thoughts. You can't do this. You know, you're not smart, you're not educated, you know, you got a handicap, whatever it might, your your past life, the things that you've done, maybe the things that have happened, you know, you're not going to be much good to the kingdom of God. We find it easy to love those who are good looking, who are fun to be with, you know, who are useful to have around that might help us out in life, but we don't like people who get in the way or, or inconvenience us or make us uncomfortable. We'd rather stay away from those people. We'd rather, you know, again, stay, you know, hang around those that, that, that are cool, they're healthy, good-looking, they're smart like we are, you know. But thankfully, thankfully there is someone, with a capital S, someone who doesn't treat us that way. So many times we hear the invitation from God, come. In Matthew 11, verses uh, 28 through 30, we hear Jesus say, come to me, and it says, all. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says in John 7, 37 through 38, he says, if anyone, there's that word anyone again, anybody, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isaiah chapter 55, 1 and 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come. The invitation is constant. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Yes, come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Over and over and over we read that invitation come. And lastly, in the last book of the Bible, in the last chapter, we hear the Lord's last words in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Over and over and over again, we hear the Lord say, come. Somebody who loves us just the way we are, unconditionally, no strings attached. He welcomes us into his family forever. And it doesn't matter how messed up we've been. It doesn't matter how messed up we are. Anyone, a universal invitation. Verse 4. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Listen to King David's response to what Ziba told him in verse 3. Yeah, there is somebody, but you know, he's lame in his feet. David didn't say, oh, What's that about his feet? What happened to him? 
David said, where is he? That's all he wanted to know. Where is he? Not who is he. Not how, you know, well, you know, how badly crippled is he? David didn't even ask or think about his disability. He didn't ask Ziba, hey, man, how did it happen? How badly is he crippled? Will he be of any service to me? King David didn't ask those things. You know, he didn't ask him, hey, how well can he get around or, or what can he do for me? You know why? He wasn't interested in what Mephibosheth could do for him. It was what the king was going to do for him. And that's the way it is with our Heavenly Father. It's not about what I can do for him. It's about what he's done for me and what he wants to do for me. That's what the grace of God is all about. God's grace is not picky. God's grace doesn't look for the right person to bless. God's grace isn't given out based on what I am or, or who I am or the, the person that I need to be. You know, it's not based on do I deserve it. God's grace is given to those who don't deserve it, as a matter of fact. Who can't buy it, who can't earn it, who can't work for it, pay it back. It's God giving himself away. That's the picture that we have here in this story of 2 Samuel chapter 9. King David humbles himself to help somebody who was everything that David wasn't. Verses 4 and 5. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. So again, he asked, where is he? Ziba said, well, you know, he's in the house of Machir. He's, he's down there in Lodabar. The name Lodabar, the word Lodabar means no pasture. This is significant. He was living in a place of no pasture. In other words, Mephibosheth was living in a desolate, barren, forsaken desert. It's, kind of, it's a kind of a representation of our life without God. It was a place of emptiness. It was a place of dissatisfaction, a wasteland symbolic of a life apart from God. And I look back to my own. And that came to that place when I chose to come to Christ, when Christ was reaching out to me, I, I looked and, and my life was a, was a wasteland. Joel 1.18 says, How the animals groan, the herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment or they're made desolate. You can imagine, I think, how scared Mephibosheth was uh, when he heard that King David was looking for him. He probably thought, oh, this is it. You know, he wants, to, he wants to do me in. He wants to, you know, take my head because I'm the last of, of the king's family, of Saul's family. You know, he's a, he, he wants to make sure there's nobody who's going to take the throne from him. Look at verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his faith, face and he prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So when Mephibosheth comes to David, we read here that he falls on his face before David. He falls flat on the ground. And when David speaks to him, he didn't speak to him in anger. And many times I think when, when we, we want to come to God or we think about coming to God, we think, man, he, he's going to be really upset with who I am and what I've done and what my past is like. David did not speak to Mephibosheth in anger. He didn't rake him over the coals. He didn't interrogate him. He didn't say, Mephibosheth, guess why I'm here? Do you know why I'm here? 
Do you know the misery that your grandfather caused me? All those years that I had to run from him, hide from him, living in caves, living like an animal, always looking over my shoulder, staying one step ahead of death. Well, you know what? You're going to pay for that. That's not what David was doing there, and that's not what David said. Let's read what David said now in verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore you to all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and notice, and you shall eat bread at my table. Continually. I'm sure that Mephibosheth was expecting the worst. I am sure as he laid prostrate on the ground, at any moment he expected the sword to fall and it would be over. Instead, the king looks at him. And he says, Oh, Mephibosheth, you don't have to be afraid of me. You are going to have a place of honor like you could never imagine. Like you've never experienced before, Mephibosheth. You're going to become a member of my family. And you're going to eat bread with me at my house, at my table, continually. That last phrase, and you shall eat bread at my table continually, in verse 7, is repeated three more times in verses 10, 11, and 13. You see, when the Holy Spirit says something repeatedly, it's clear that He wants to make a point. He wants to get our attention and get a hold of our hearts with this important truth. His love for us. Here is salvation that grace gives out. God always takes the initiative in bringing His blessing to a person's life. It is not you who takes the first step in looking for God. We read in 1 John 4, 19, we loved Him. Why? Because He first loved us. It's God who starts things off. God always takes the initiative in blessing his in bringing his blessing to a person's life. It's not you. It's God all the time. It's God who propositions you. It's God who by his grace comes down to you. He comes down to where you are. He's the one who calls you. He comes to meet you where you are. He comes to meet you where you are in need. And and I remember those times when Pastor All, who at the time I, I went to high school with Pastor All, we did a lot of things together that he tells in his book and his stories, and I was there with him. And when he got saved, you know, we abandoned him. But you know what he used to do? He used to come to the parties that we were at, and he would be like a light in that room, and we hated it. But see, God came to where we were to show us His love and His grace. He didn't stay. We all would leave. But He came to just make His presence known and we could feel the presence of God. That's why we're so uncomfortable. The things that He used to do with us, He was no longer doing. 
And I remember my wife when, I, when me and her were separated. And it almost led to a divorce. It was a very tough time. She was in a nightclub one night. And God went to the night. Yeah, God goes to nightclubs. He went to the nightclub that night and he touched her heart and said, Kathy, look around. And at first it was dark. You know, nightclubs, you know, the Bible says men love darkness more than light. And that's why clubs are always dark. You can't see what's really going on half the time. But she said at the end the lights came on and she just looked around and saw the messes on the floor. The people stumbling around drunk. And God said, Kathy, I took you out of this. And he told her that night, you go home and you work on your marriage. See, he comes to where you are. He comes to you at your time of greatest need no matter where you are. Because he loves you. And he wants to make that known to you. Mephibosheth lived in a place called Lodabar. Now this is significant because it means no pasture. It was no man's land. There was nothing there. It was remote. It was desolate. It was a barren wilderness. Which to me represents the sinner's life apart from God. A wasteland of corruption, wickedness, and sin. Or just being away from God. But notice in verse 5, it says, King David sent out for him. King David went looking for him. King David brought him out of the house of Mekur in Lodabar. David sent for him. David initiated the search. David brought him out of that barren wasteland. David took him in just the way he was to his house. to his house of wealth. And he gave him bread to eat at his table continually. David took Mephibosheth from a place of hopelessness and barrenness to a place of honor. He took a broken vessel, a disabled person, a hopeless person, and he took him out of hiding in the wilderness where there was no pasture land, no life, brought him to a place of wealth right into the palace of the king. That's an amazing grace. And I hope you can see the picture here. I mean, it should be so clear. God has taken us from out of nowhere land to where he is to a place of fellowship with Him. He sent His Holy Spirit to offer us salvation. He brought us out of the barren wasteland of our life. He has taken us in. You see, He doesn't just take us out. He takes us in. And just as we are crippled, whether it's socially, physically, emotionally, uh, uh, whatever it might be, He takes everything that we all have. He takes all that we are, and he's given us bread, Jesus, the bread of life, at his table, continually showing or speaking of relationship. Maybe tonight, what is your disablement? What is your disability tonight? What is the thing that has crippled you? Has life dropped you? And maybe you feel like damaged goods. God is offering you his grace 
And there's nothing that you need to do. Nothing at all. There's nothing you can do. All you can do is accept it because God's grace is accepting. David never talked to Mephibosheth about his disability. He never mentioned it. He never said, hey, Mephibosheth, look, I I know some good doctors and we can get you fixed up and we can get you cleaned up before you come into the palace. He didn't tell him that. He didn't say you need to do that so you can fit in. No, David took him just as he was. And the night that I got saved, you know, my life had just started going down the, the tubes. Kathy, who was my wife, now that I was my girlfriend, and, and I was, did a lot of drugs and a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. I just couldn't seem to stop that life. And that one night, and again, how God meets you right where you are. I was in, in my bedroom one, one evening, and I, I, had, I had the drugs in my pocket. And, you know, I was ready to go to this club in Balm Park and meet my friends there doing the, the usual thing. I had an old Bible, not an old well, Bible that Pastor Rawl had given me at the time. I had never read it. But I opened it up that night because I was early. You know, I didn't want to get there early, and I just figured, hey, I'd spend some time and, you know, see what it had to say. And make a long story short, I started reading Romans chapter 7, Paul's struggle in the flesh, and it was exactly what I was going through. God just met me right there. I, I called I call Rawl, and he'd been inviting me to go to Calvary Chapel at the tent uh, in Costa Mesa, and I kept saying, hey, that's the last place you'll find me. Well, that night, you know, I went with him, and that night I got saved. But I went into the church with drugs in my pocket. I went in, and when I got saved, I felt this, this just the filth of that stuff in my pocket. I had to get out and get rid of it right away. But that was the point. I went in there, and, and knowing God knew I had those drugs in my pocket, he accepted me just as I was. It was nothing about, hey, you need to get out. You need to get cleaned up before you get in here. You need to get cleaned up before I'll accept you. God's grace is accepting. David took Mephibosheth just the way he was. And maybe you're crippled by drugs or alcohol or sexual promiscuity, disappointment, a horrible past, guilt, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. Hey, maybe I've done too many things, you think. I can't imagine how God can forgive me for all that I've done. Well, God offers you His grace and He says, Come as you are. Notice how Mephibosheth calls him in verse 8, calls himself in verse 8, a dead dog. You know why? David's grace upon him helped him to see his wickedness and his lifelessness. Just like the night I got saved, when I had those drugs, I thought, man, this was, I had to do something about it. I felt like a dog. I felt horrible. I felt, you know, all those things. Mephibosheth says, you know, who am I? I? I'm like a dead dog. David's grace helped Mephibosheth to see that wickedness, that lifelessness in his life, how he didn't deserve what the king was offering him. Because that's what grace does. You see, grace never lets a man live his self-righteousness in his self-righteousness and in his sin and in his pride. You see, the cross brings us down to the very feet of Jesus Christ. That's the highest place you can be at the feet of Christ. And the cross helps us to recognize and admit we are weak. 
We are lost. We are barren. And we are nothing apart from God. God's grace is humbling. Has God's grace brought about the same effect in you that it did in Mephibosheth? Humility. Has it brought you down to the foot of the cross? If not, you need to ask yourself this question. Have I really met him? Have I really received his grace? Grace is also abundant. Notice verse 7. Again, verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And notice, will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. There's no being poor when you are a child of the king. There's no being poor when you're saved. There's no stopping the abundance of God's grace in your life. There's no scraping the bottom of the barrel. Jesus, I have come that you may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Are you living the abundant life tonight? Because we have an abundant salvation. And in Jesus Christ, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. We're not fighting, we're not, uh, uh, you know, fighting, we're we're conquerors. And we're in a battle, but we've won the battle. Paul said, and my God shall supply all your need. That is, not all your want, all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You see, there's a constant supply, a constant supply of life to the helpless and the repentant sinner who has come to the cross of Christ. And at the cross is where you're going to find real and true satisfaction. Instead of an empty life, there's fruitfulness. Instead of being far away from God, you're brought close to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, you... You are the purpose of his outpouring of blessings. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily, daily, every day loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. All the wealth of heaven is made available to meet your need and to take you safely through the journey of this life until one day you will be presented spotless at the throne of God. Man, Mephibosheth had to think, why should God treat me this way when I was so far away from him? He says, I know that it it wasn't because there was anything more special about me than anybody else, but it was for my father's sake. You see, the man or woman who has been brought back from the wilderness of sin and accepted by God on the worth of Jesus Christ and who has become aware of of the abundance of his salvation and the wonderful supply of God's grace towards him is often, they often come to that point where they say, man, but Lord, I'm not worthy of this. And if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell right now. I don't, I don't deserve the privileges that God gives me. I don't deserve having a Bible. I don't deserve having His Word. I don't deserve going to church and hearing His Word taught. I don't deserve the living Christ living in me. We're reminded that we are not receiving any of these blessings because of our worth, but because of Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. We enjoy the abundance of our salvation and the continued fellowship at the king's table because God has made a covenant with us. And that covenant was written and sealed by the precious blood of his son. A covenant that that he's made with us. 
a covenant that has taken you within its power to produce and keep you throughout life and for all eternity. Look at verses 9 and 10. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, notice, your master's son shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Why do you think... God put that in here. The 15 sons and 20 servants. Because they were the ones who would look after Mephibosheth. They were part of God's exceeding abundance. And again, this is an Old Testament picture of the New Testament truth that if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things within the will of God will be added to you. What an abundant supply God gives to help His children get victory day by day through His grace. And all that we need for for victory is the grace of God. Jesus said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for us. Verses 11 through 13 as we close. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. Mephibosheth's feet are a symbol of the crippling effect of sin. And they were his constant reminder of God's grace. Because of his disability, he could have never brought himself to the place that he was in. The only thing Mephibosheth probably owned was a walking stick. And yet the king gave him so much. Every wobbly and painful step that he took was a reminder of the grace of the king. And as he went into the king's palace and he ate at the king's table continually, he never had to worry about anything again. He's probably saying, I am here in this place with everything that I need, enjoying my rest because of the king's grace. And for no other reason. And again it says, And he ate continually at the king's table. Now Pastor Chuck Swindoll on this passage gives a, a really, I mean just a very picturesque description of this story. And, and I kind of want to finish with it. He says, Picture what life would be in the years to come at the supper table with David. He says, The meal is fixed. The dinner bell rings, and here comes the members of David's family and their guests. Here comes Amnon, very clever and witty. He comes to the table first. Then there comes Joab, David's general, one of, one of the guests, muscular and manly and, and handsome, his skin tanned from the sun, walking tall and straight like an experienced soldier. Then next comes Absalom. 
Talk about handsome. From the crown of his head to the soles of his feet, there's not a blemish on him. Then there's Tamar. Tamar, David's beautiful, sensitive daughter. And later on, you could, you could add Solomon as you know, he makes his way from the study all day studying God's word. But he finally slips away from his work and he makes his way to the table with the rest of the family and guests. But then, what's this noise they hear? Clomp, clomp, clomp. And here comes Mephibosheth. Hobbling along. He smiles humbly as he joins the others and he takes his place at the table like one of the king's sons. And the tablecloth of grace covers his feet. You see, as that tablecloth covered his feet, that's the picture of grace. It didn't show his disability. God's grace covers all of our disabilities. You see, Mephibosheth resembles the sinner and his salvation. Mephibosheth was once an enemy of the king, but the king was never his enemy. Mephibosheth was wanted, though he wasn't interested. Mephibosheth was received in his imperfection. Mephibosheth was received for the sake of another. Mephibosheth received a rich inheritance. And Mephibosheth was received into a daily fellowship with the king. All because the king loved Jonathan and showed grace to his disabled son. And God, out of his love for his son, Jesus Christ, and the price that he paid on the cross shows his grace to the believing sinner. And you know what? He's still looking for people who are spiritually crippled. People who are dead due to sin, lost in trespasses and sin, turning or running away from God, shattered, defeated, afraid, and confused. We're walking with God today for no other reason than He demonstrated His grace to us out of His love for His Son. What was impossible for Mephibosheth to do on his own merit was, beyond, was not beyond the grace of the king to give freely. And so passing on Saul's heritage to his hopeless and poor grandson is compared to the grace of God. And how in Jesus Christ, the lost position of fellowship with God and the purity because, uh, that, we have because, or that Adam had as a result of the fall has been restored through Jesus Christ. So, that which was lost because of Adam has been restored because of Jesus Christ. And I just pray that, that again, this chapter would just constantly be a reminder of the grace of God and, and how He's taken us from that, that land of emptiness that lifelessness and hopeless place that we were once in and look to the, at the place where he's brought us today and all the things that he's done for us, wants to do for us, and will continue to do for us. May we never take God's grace for granted. May it never be a dumping ground. May we never cheapen the grace of God for our sin. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this evening to thank you for your word, Lord. We do thank you for your grace, Lord, your abundant grace.
God, we thank you that you came. You came to this earth. You came to meet us here, Lord. You came to meet us in our great time of need, Lord. You left the beauty of the creation, the galaxies you created, the galaxies that you walked on, and you came and you put on flesh and blood. You came to this filthy earth to show us your love and your grace. And Father, I pray that we would take advantage of the salvation that's offered to us today. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.